0: All right. Thank you, Angela, and the team again. So good to be able to welcome you to our meeting this morning. My name is Mark, as Joe has just said, and uh, so good to be able to sing God's praises again together corporately, uh, in person. It's been six long months since we've been able to do that. So... uh, Good to be able to do it again. And as I've been preaching in these last six months, we've managed to work our way through most of Ephesians chapter (laughs) 1. So we're making progress. We'll continue on with that today as we look at the hope which God has called us to. Why don't we just read uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 23. We're going to look at quite a bit of this uh, today, mainly from verse 18 uh, through to 23. But we'll read from verse 15. It says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I haven't stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the glorious riches, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe way. Amen. All right. Well, last time we were looking at, um, last time we were looking at seeing how the first and the most important thing that Paul prayed, the most important prayer that he prayed for the church in Ephesus was that they would know God better, that they would know God better. Paul realized that knowing God was the key to everything else, not knowing about God, But knowing God, if we get to know God better because God's revealed himself to us, then we'll find that we want to spend time with him. We'll want to spend time speaking and talking with him, that's prayer. We'll want to tell others about him. Everything else we saw will come out of knowing God better. Now, after hearing some feedback from my last message, I just want to make it clear that when I spoke about how at one point I said about ditching the ought to's um, and that we can easily find ourselves living our Christian life by. When I said that, I wasn't suggesting that we ignore all of the New Testament uh, commands and everything that the New Testament encourages us to live in and uh, and, and just live by how we feel in the moment. That wasn't what I was saying. Um, I wasn't preaching license, do what you want, because God's going to forgive us anyway. Paul actually deals with that, doesn't he, at the start of Romans 6. Uh, He's talking about God's grace, and then he says, uh, okay, well, now we've understood God's grace, what shall we say then? Shall we just go on sinning so that grace may increase? And he answers that, by no means. And then he explains in Romans 6 why we shouldn't do that. What I was saying was that our motivation for doing something shouldn't primarily be because we ought to do it. Our motivation primarily is because of our relationship and our knowledge of God. Let me give you an example. I want to gather together with God's people to pray this evening. We have a prayer meeting here this evening. Um, and, I, and I want to gather at the prayer meeting. I want to come and pray and be with God's people because I've understood that God welcomes me into his presence. I've understood that he hears my prayers. I've understood that he'll draw close to me as I pray and gather with others in the church. And I love being with him. God's revealed those things to me over the amount of time that I've been a Christian, a believer, a follower of Jesus. He's revealed to me the importance of all of that. And so I don't come because I feel that I ought to. I certainly don't come because it's my job to. Um, Which some people might think is the case. I come because over the years, God's given me that spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I know him better than I once did. Uh, Our life in Christ is a a relationship and we get to know him better. And as we go on, I've been a follower of Jesus for over 30 years now. And in those 30 years, I've got to know God better. And that's what Paul prays, that we would know him better better. It's similar to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and and participation in his sufferings, becoming like in in his death, somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. And then he says, not that I've already obtained all this or arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. So he's saying, I want to know God. I know God. I know something of him. I want to know more. Actually, I need to press on. There's something I need to do. I need to press on to take hold of something for which Christ's already taken hold of us. And there's so much more that we want to know. We want to know Christ more. We press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of us. Now, having said all of that, when it comes to 7.15 this evening, I'm pretty certain, pretty certain, that I will not feel like I want to come and pray. So why is that? Maybe that's not your experience. That is usually my experience. My experience is because I don't, I don't feel like I want to come and pray because my flesh doesn't want to pray. The spirit within me does. I know that. But my flesh wants to watch Netflix or sleep, or snack, or something along those lines. So then I have a choice to make. Do I follow the spirit, or do I follow the flesh? Which one am I going to listen to? Well, I know that I want to come to God and pray, because that's a way of knowing Christ better. And I know the spirit within me wants to pray, so I choose to discipline my body, my flesh, so that it doesn't rule over me. So I show up to pray. And then when I'm here, I stir myself to pray, even though my flesh doesn't want to pray. My flesh wants to sit here and close my eyes and, and, and pray spiritually while I doze. <laughs> what I don't do is come because I feel I ought to, or because God or someone else is expecting me to, or because I feel I have to to be a good Christian. I hope you can kind of see the difference it's a bit nuanced it's a little it's quite can be quite hard to get hold of we don't always feel like we want to but we still want to I hope you can see the difference the Christian life is about finding joy and pleasure in knowing God and I as I I know that as I come and pray I'll find more of that joy in God as I worship him and speak with him. So in the end, it's a bit of a virtuous circle. More and more, we'll be motivated by knowing God better, and we'll get to know God better as we worship him, as we pray with him, as we be with his people, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as, as Joe's just said, as we focus on him. All right, that was really the last message, but I hope it's clarified a few, there's a little bonus, a little recap. Um, I hope it's clarified some things for you, if you were at all confused by what I said. It actually does connect with what I want to look at today. Because at the end of that passage in Philippians, Paul says, Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There's a straining and a pressing towards something because there's a goal heavenward in Christ Jesus. There's a prize to be gained, and that's an eternal, heavenly prize. And that's what Paul is talking about here in uh, verse 18 of of Ephesians. I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Um, And there's two aspects of that hope that we're going to look at this morning. Two aspects of that hope. There's the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, And there's the incomparably great power for us who believe. We're going to look at both of those this morning. One of the features of the early church is they often spoke about and they often rejoiced in the hope that they had before them. And first of all, they rejoiced and spoke about their future heavenly hope. In that society, they would have been very aware of the reality of death. And so this hope, this heavenly hope, was very, very real to them. Now, in our society here, until relatively recently, we haven't really spoken a lot about death. Death is kind of a bit of a taboo subject. We tend to push it under the rug. Pretend it's not going to happen to me. COVID has actually changed all of that people have become much more aware of the reality of death. Even if here in Atlantic Canada, the um, overall death rate hasn't potentially increased all that much over the last two years, there's much more of an awareness of death. There's much more of a fear of death, I would say. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing. Actually, I would say that's possibly a good thing. It's better than pretending it's not going to happen. Paul's prayer is the eyes of our heart are enlightened. Another way of saying that is is Paul's praying that God would switch the lights on for us. He's praying that God would switch the lights on for us. What he's really praying is he's saying, I want you to think about death, but I want you to think about what comes after death as well. For you as a believer in Christ, I want you to fix your eyes on the and see the hope that you have before you. What comes after death? Okay, I'm just going to say a little bit more about that. But while I do that, Debbie, I'm just going to ask you to come up. I've got a a, a ball of string here. And I'm just going to ask Debbie to unravel this string around the room, if you can manage to do that. Might take you a little bit of a while. See if we can get you untangled there. (laughs) And hopefully, Debbie's going to manage to unravel that all around the room. It might take us some time. (laughs) <laughs> I've probably not set her up all, all too well. It's <laughs> like, thanks for that. <laughs> it'll, all, it'll all come out in the end. <laughs> all right. Some people, when they're thinking about death, they say, do you know what? I, I, don't, fear, I don't fear death. I don't fear death. But I do fear dying, maybe wrap it around that chair at the end, Debbie. Okay. Otherwise, if you don't wrap it around that end chair there, it's going to come right back. There you go. <laughs> they say, I do fear dying. And, and I guess that's understandable. If you view death, as finally being at peace. And, and some people say, you know, oh, this life's trouble, but death's gonna come, and, and okay, death will finally be a peace. Some people, many people think that, especially if they think that death is the end. If they think that death is, that's it. You know, this life is all there is, and then death is the end. Um, they think, oh, well, that's okay, we're finally at peace. So instead of death, some people will fear dying. They'll fear dying because they know that dying can be painful, and we don't know how we're going to die. Some people die peacefully in their sleep. Some people do die peacefully in their sleep, but most people probably don't. Many people's final moments in this life are actually agony. I I remember being with my former pastor as he was in hospital with cancer, and despite all of the palliative interventions, in the last hour or two of his life. He he was in a lot of pain. He was in a lot of pain. Just imagine what that's like for people all around the world who don't have the drugs, the care, you know, that helps ease our time of passing. We don't like to think about these things, do we? We don't like to think about these things. You probably don't like me saying what I've just said. Maybe it's caused a little fear in You, But it's a reality. But for for those who don't know God, the agonies of dying are actually only the start of the eternal agonies which people will face if they die and spend an eternity separated from Christ. The Bible talks about how horrendous it will be. And we might not like to read it, but the Bible does talk about it. All goodness and pleasure comes from God. So, an eternity cast away from God, outside of God, is horrific. The agony of dying for those outside of Christ is actually just a foretaste of what will come for those who don't know Christ. Again, let's not fool ourselves with some cold comfort saying, oh, do you know what? It won't be that bad. It will be okay. Actually, it will. The Bible tells us it will outside of Christ. But for those who are in Christ, there's a very real hope. We've been called heavenwards. Heaven is our hope. Debbie, well done. (laughs) (laughs) Now, just look around at this long piece of string. You can probably stop there. You're probably good. Maybe just perch on the end here. Just look at this long piece of string stretched all the way around the room. Now, on this string, If you can see, this end here has got a little colored part. It's a little blue colored part of the string. And this colored part is like our life here on earth. And the rest of this symbolizes the eternity to come. Our life in Christ for all of eternity. And of course, it doesn't end Here, it will stretch on and on and on. And the truth is, we focus in so much on this part. That's what we focus on. Our lives, our actions, our prayers, focused in on this part of our life. But it's so tiny compared to the enormity of what is to come. And we might think, well, why do we do that? Why do we focus all of our time and energy and effort and prayers and thinking on this part of our lives here, making sure that we get the very most out of this life as we can, getting as much pleasure, getting as many experiences as we can, fitting as much in, got to make sure we make the most of it all. But it's just this part. Instead, Jesus and the Word of God encourages us that we should be living in the light of eternity. In the light of eternity, preparing. This part is a preparation for the rest of our lives with Christ. It's a preparation for it. Jesus says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. He says, storing up treasures on earth it's not going to get you anywhere. You can't take this with you. But you can store up for all of this. All of this. And it's either an eternity with God and Christ, or it's an eternity in hell separated from God. Paul wants us to be enlightened. He wants the lights to be switched on. He wants us to see this Clearly. And he goes on to speak about it, the riches of his glorious inheritance, the riches of it. We want to see what's ahead. It's glorious, it's a wealthy inheritance. My parents are pretty rich. They've just sold a business that my dad built up um, and my brother built up, and they've just sold it for millions of pounds. And they said to me the other day, we were just talking about something about in the future, and, and, and they just said, oh. You won't have to worry about that in the future. You'll have plenty of money. Because they were talking about the inheritance that they were going to give me. You don't need to worry. Maybe, if I outlive them, maybe, for a few short years, maybe, if nothing else happens economically in the world with that, but, but then what? Maybe for this, Am I going to put all my hope in that inheritance? I could. It's tempting. It seems very real. But it's not even certain in this life. All kinds of things could prevent me from coming into it. And after this life, I can't take it with me. It's gone. But our internal inheritance is very real. It's guaranteed for all eternity. Oh, how we need the lights switching on in our minds so that we know the reality of this glorious inheritance. Nothing's going to compare to it. In this world, there's so much sin and conflict and jealousy and anger and resentment and criticism and self-pity and pain and cancer. The list goes on. But for us in Christ, there'll be a time when it will all be gone. Every tear will be gone from our eyes. And that doesn't mean we're just going to be dabbing them away. There'll be no more tears. It will be glory forever. Endless enjoyment. Because God loves it when we enjoy ourselves. And he's prepared an eternity of pleasure and happiness for us. Endless happiness. All of this happiness. And all of that, and when I say all that, that doesn't belittle the suffering that we're going through, which is very real. And, and, and Joe's just talked about that, very real suffering that we're going through. It, 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 I say it doesn't belittle it. In one sense, it does belittle it, because it, what it does is it cuts it down to size. It puts it in perspective. And Paul puts it in perspective in his writings. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory which far outweighs them all. You might think it doesn't seem light and momentary that I'm going through. It seems to be going on and on and on. And Paul's saying no, but in the context of eternity, it's light and it's momentary. Again, in Romans eight, eighteen, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us, in us. So there's a future hope that Paul wants us to get hold of. But there's also a present hope. Secondly, there's a present hope, a hope for us today. And that hope is his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. His incomparably great power for those of us who believe. So what is that power? Well, Paul says it's the same power that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand. It's the same power. Wow. I mean, there was incredible power at work when God raised Jesus from the dead. The stone was rolled away. And Jesus, who had been beaten bruised, pierced, who died a death of suffocation on the cross. He was raised to life again, defeating the power of death. No one else had ever defeated death. Yes, Jesus raised to to life a little girl. Yes, Jesus raised to life Lazarus. But they both died again. They didn't defeat death. Death was postponed. But Jesus being raised showed that the ultimate power of death, which had had victory over every single person who had ever lived, finally had been defeated. Finally, that power had been defeated. What amazing power. And then the power that was exerted for Jesus to ascend into heaven, to be seated at the right hand of the Father. I kind of wonder how that happened. Do you ever wish you could have seen that? That's what I wish I could have seen. Jesus ascending into heaven. I mean, what was it like? Was it like he was going up in a kind of hot air balloon? He didn't go up in a hot air balloon, but did he ascend as though he was in a hot air balloon, kind of gently rise from the ground and, and drift up until finally? Or was it, was it like some of, in these, some of these superhero movies where he was just like, and he just went as though it was a rocket propelled? I don't know. I wish I could have seen it. Either way, there was such power involved in it happening. It was was countering the force of gravity. This power that God exerted was the greatest power. It was the power that won the greatest battle that has ever taken place in the history of the world. Jesus versus Satan. Satan and his legions had amassed against Jesus and seemed once and for all to have got the final victory when Jesus died on the cross. All the powers of hell were stacked up against Jesus. But then God raised him. Jesus had won. He was the victor. Satan had been defeated. And Jesus' power was shown to be far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and now all things are under his feet. All things under his feet. He has the victory over all of them. And what does that mean for us? I tell you, it gives us such hope for our lives. It means we don't have to worry about the forces of evil and darkness, which would be against us. Some of us can, can, if we're honest, we can get a little obsessed with what the enemy is doing. Oh, the enemy's doing this, the enemy's against me and this, the enemy's doing this. Well, yes, the enemy is still at work. The final defeat, the final binding hasn't come. The, en- the enemy's restricted in what he can do, but he's still at work. And he's at work in people's lives. But we don't need to fear him. Because we're in Christ. And Christ has won the victory. We're not subject to those principalities and powers. We are subject to King Jesus. And those principalities and powers are subject to him. And he's over them. He has the victory under them, over them. All things are under his feet. That's what he means. They're under his feet. So we're not victims of circumstance if we're in Christ. We don't need to be knocked about by whatever the devil is going to do next. We need to see where Jesus is. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We need to see where he is. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. All powers and authorities and dominions are under his feet. We are in Christ. We're involved in his victory. We're included in it. Paul keeps stressing it time and time again. He says it again at the end of this chapter. God placed all things under his feet. He appointed him to be head over everything for the church. That's us, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He did it for the church. He did it for us. He didn't only do it for us, actually. He included us in it. We can put our enemies, the powers that work in our lives, we can put them under our feet. I wonder whether you know the passage in Joshua chapter 10 in the Old Testament. Joshua and his army have defeated five kings and he's trapped them in a cave. And then when his army and and his commanders all come to him, Joshua says, open up the cave, bring out the five kings. And they do that. And Joshua says to his army commanders, he says, Come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. You can find this at the end of Joshua chapter 10. Come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. And that's what they do. They come forward and they put their feet on the king's necks. And then Joshua says this to them. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. That's what Joshua says to his people. Now, Joshua could have easily dealt with the kings himself, but he got his men involved in what he was doing. And he said, don't be afraid. This is what God's going to do to your enemies. This is what God's going to do through you. You're going to be involved in this, but you don't need to fear. They would never have dared to do that themselves otherwise. They would never have done it. To put their feet on the necks of these kings. In years to come, they could tell the stories of how they were involved in the defeat of these mighty powers. But they could have only done it through the grace of Joshua. Joshua is a forerunner of Jesus. It's the same name. Actually. And in Ephesians we're seeing this is exactly what Jesus has done with us. By his power, he's defeated the enemies which massed against him. And he's done it for us, the church. And and then he involves us. And he says to us, Come on, come on, put your feet on their necks. Put your feet on their necks. Now what does he mean? We're not to put our feet on the necks of people. <laughs> Don't get the wrong idea. Don't go home with your brothers and sisters and go, okay, let's act this one out. (laughs) No. But what's he saying to us? What kind of powers rule in our lives? What kind of powers can we let rule in our lives? Sexual impurity? Are you under that? Cynicism? The power of addiction? Self-pity? Unbelief? hopelessness, and despair, the list could go on. Whatever it is that seems to be dominating in your life, Jesus says, come on, put your foot on the neck of that thing. Be strong and courageous. It's under your feet. We don't have the power to take those things on in our own strength. But Jesus did. Jesus did, and he won the victory. And He, and we're in him. And so he includes us, and he says, put them under your feet, because they're under my feet. Can you believe that? Can you believe for the thing which dominates or spoils your life? If you can't, then Paul's prayer applies to you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you know what God has called you to. I pray the lights will be switched on so you understand you can have power o- and over this enemy of yours. Just visualize that powerful thing which dominates you, which inhibits you, holds you back from everything that God's called you to And put it under your feet. It's been conquered. It mustn't conquer you. This is what God has called you to. It's been dealt with at the cross. It's got no legal power. The enemy says all sorts of things. He's a liar. But this has got no power. It's bluffing. We mustn't fall for it. Jesus is above all rule and authority. Jesus is supreme over it all for the church. There is no power in heaven or on earth that is undealt with. It's for the church. He did it for us. So what enemies do we have? If God is for us, who can be against us? What can be against us? What power can operate in your life? None unless you let it. The devil is a liar. He's the father of lies. He will lie to you again and again. He'll tell you this temptation is a power that you cannot overcome. But it's a lie. This is the truth. It's under Jesus' feet. And you can come, and he's inviting you to come, and put your foot on its neck and see that it's under your feet. That sin which dominates you, the habit you can't break, that way of thinking which is so negative, put it under your feet, in your mind, it's under your feet, Jesus has dealt with it. You can say, I choose not to be a slave of this anymore, I don't need to be, I don't need to listen to its lies, I don't need to listen to its seductive voice, I've got the power of the Holy Spirit living within me. I can pray, Holy Spirit, help me in this this battle. Help me to to believe it and to live it. We need the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened by this. We need the lights turning on in our lives. Many of us are fumbling around in the darkness. We need the lights switching on. What do we do when we fumble around in the darkness? We go by what we feel. And many of us, when we're in dark times in our lives, go by what we feel. That becomes the reality to us. Paul says, I'm praying the lights get switched on. So you don't have to go by what you feel anymore. I'm praying you can go by what you see. That we can see the hope to which God has called us. To see that there's hope in these areas of our lives. Often we can't believe for it. Because what we feel seems so real. But we need to step into the light and see the truth so that we can live by the light. Isaiah 60 says, arise, shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises on you. See, darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over all the peoples, but the Lord rises on you and his glory appears over you. There's thick darkness covering the earth. We don't need persuading about that but the light of the Lord rises on us. It penetrates the darkness. Jesus is the light of the world and he has come. In Mark chapter eight, there was a man who was born blind and Jesus laid hands on him. And he said, do you, do you see anything now? And the man says, well, oh yeah, I see people. They look a bit like trees walking around. And, and Jesus put his hand on his eyes again and the man's eyes were opened and he saw everything clearly. And some of us have been hearing these messages in Ephesians and and, and it can sound, a lot of what Paul's saying in Ephesians can sound very strange. We can't quite see it. We can't quite grasp it. Maybe maybe some of us are beginning to see things a little more now. It's not fully clear. Maybe it's like trees walking around. But I'm going to pray now that God turns the lights on in your lives so that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. I'm going to pray that you can see things clearly, that you can live your life going forward in the power of love and grace of God. So why don't we stand together? Because we're going to pray. And we're going to pray and we're going to believe that God's going to do something. We're going to pray that God switches the lights on so that we can fully understand it and then we can start to live it out. And we live it out by what we see and not, what we, not how we feel. All right, if you know that there are areas of your life where you have just thought, I, I can't defeat this, that there's powers working in me and I just cannot, I don't, I've lost all hope that this is ever going to be defeated. I think I'm going to be subject to this. I'm going to battle with this all my life. I just want to invite you just to, just to reach out your hands to God now in faith, that as I pray, God is going to do something in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what those things are, and I'm not asking you to speak them out, apart from in your mind to God. You know what they are. So Father God, I want to pray now that you will open the eyes of our heart, that you will switch the lights on that you will help us to see your truth and you will help us to believe your truth, that you have defeated the enemy. You've defeated everything that he would do to snatch us away from you and to wreck our lives. And I pray that we would see that in you we have the power to overcome that you have all these things under your feet and you are saying put them under your feet too that you're inviting us in we put them under our feet in faith we believe it Lord we believe it Lord because you are the victor I pray do it in each one of us here today each one of us Lord and I pray you would help us to see the eternity to which you've called us, that these present sufferings that we are enduring, which seem so real, and they are real, are insignificant in the light of all you have for us. Give us that perspective, Lord. Switch the lights on in our minds, we pray. Keep moving. Even as we worship you now, I pray, Seal these things in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.